Good morning. You guys doing well? Excellent. Good to have you with us. We are taking a break from our Luke teaching series for three weeks. Going to do a parenting series, and uh, this series is for everyone. Whether you have kids or you've never had kids or you want to get rid of those kids, it, uh, it doesn't matter because it's really more about how God parents us and then how we can pass on our faith to the next generation. And we want to do a better job at that here at Desert Breeze and continue to develop that and see how we can make an impact in our kids' lives. We have a whole slew of kids that come in here week in and week out. And so together, we want to make an impact in their lives. And uh, I think that should be normal for every follower of Christ, that you want to make an impact in the next generation. And so big, parent, big picture parenting, 15 foundational principles, part one, grace, is what we're talking about this morning. There was a popular parenting seminar speaker touring the country. He had no kids. And he titled his seminar, Expert Advice on Raising Great Kids. (laughs) And then he had kids. And he retitled the seminar, Feeble Hints for Fellow Strugglers. And then his kids became teenagers And he retitled his seminar, Does Anybody Out There Have Any Advice? (laughs) And most self-appointed parental experts uh, have no kids or they're out of touch with reality. God-glorifying, gospel-centered, fruit-bearing parenting is is not natural. (laughs) It's supernatural. It's supernatural. Comedian Jim Gaffigan, after he had his fifth child... um, He said this, they were asking him what it was like to have five kids, and he said, you know what it's like having five kids? Imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. (laughs) And, uh, And you can feel like that with only one child. When you have that first child, it's, it's a bit overwhelming. If you think you're adequate to the task of parenting apart from Christ, you are delusional. You're delusional, and so we're going to talk about that here this morning. Take a look at your sermon notes, part of the intro. Just as God parents us as his children, we are to in turn parent the next generation. So this series is is for all of us. Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. Therefore, there is not a more important God-given responsibility for all of us as adults. This is a God-given responsibility for all of us. And in the midst of the laundry and breaking up fights and packing school lunches and homework and endless parenting activities, it's easy to miss the forest for the trees. We kind of get lost in all of the busyness and the craziness of life. And so we need to take a look at the big picture. What's the whole big picture of this thing called parenting and passing on our faith to the next generation? This series is more than a to-do list, it is a big picture view of parenting that will radically change not only your perspective of how God parents us, and some of us need to be reparented because we didn't come from very good backgrounds, and so this gives you a picture of how God reparents us in this process, but also how we are to impact the next generation. It's based on Paul David Tripp's book, Parenting, 
14 gospel principles that can radically change your family. We added one. It was his introduction. I thought it should be titled 15. He titled it 14. But we added one, and you'll see it. It's the first point that we'll get to in just a moment. So here we go. You guys ready? Let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into our notes. And and you'll see that the verses, if you can keep up, you can find your way with these verses. But all the verses will be up on the screen. And so... uh, You can follow along that way. Let's pray. God, we are delighted to be here this morning. You have lavished us with your rescuing, reconciling, and restoring grace so that we can be tools of the same in the lives of the next generation. It is an overwhelming task. So we pray through this teaching series that you would give us vision, motivation, and renewed strength to not just survive but thrive in this calling as adults, as parents, as grandparents, as children, and youth workers, as teachers, help us to see more than ever before that it's not parenting seminars and long to-do lists that make us better parents as much as understanding your father heart toward us and how you parent rebels like us. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful and glorious name. And everyone said... Amen. So let's take a look. Here's your first point. It's on your notes. First fill in the blank. Parenting is not about ownership, but, but stewardship. It's not about ownership, but it's about stewardship. He uses in the first, it's not actually one of his points. It's actually part of the intro, and that's why I wanted to add it as one of the points. And not only that, it makes the, the series uh, easier because we're going to cover five of these each week. We're only going three weeks, so five each week. But uh, he calls it ambassadors. I preferred the word stewardship. I think you can use either one. But parenting is not about ownership, but stewardship. Take a look at this verse, Psalm 127.3. See it up on the screen? Let's read it together and aloud. You guys ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. It's interesting here that the idea here of heritage, this is one of Pastor Scott's favorite verses. He explained this to me, and I thought it was really very pertinent, very relevant, very significant to what we're learning here. He says here, a heritage from the Lord. It's a legacy from God. It's not that you extend your legacy through your children. You're extending God's legacy. So it's not about you. It's about God's legacy. So behold, children are, they're gifts from God, but, you're, but they're a heritage, they're a legacy. You are extending his legacy, not yours. This is about making God look good, not you. So it's, so it's a major difference. The difference is between ownership and stewardship. Ownership is what parents want for their children and from their children. Stewardship is what God in grace has planned to do through us in our children. I, I mean, I've, I've seen frustrated parents before and I've been frustrated before and I, I've heard this and I've probably said this when I was frustrated at my kids and maybe you've heard it too. I brought you into this world and I can take you out, okay? You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like, have you ever felt like that as a parent? It's like, oh man, I'm going to choke them out. But that's actually not true. You didn't bring them into the world, nor can you take them out, okay? God owns them. And you're just a steward of what God has given you. I mean, that was revolutionary for me, that they're not mine, but they're yours, God. They belong to you. That was really helpful for me because when our kids all left, Nancy and I are empty nesters and our kids left, all of a sudden, all of them together, all three of them, how could they do that to us? 
They probably couldn't hardly wait to get out of the house, <laughs> I'm sure. But I was depressed for at least a year after that because it was just, it was hollow. It was echoey in the home. It was like, I went from this noise and busyness to, wow. And I was, I was depressed a bit as I worked through that depression. I had to keep reminding myself, wait a minute, they're not mine. They're yours. They're yours. They belong to you, God. And, and, and in some ways, that was very freeing because I wasn't sure what kind of a job we had done. You know, I, I hoped that we had done a good job, but it's like, God, they're on you now, okay? They're all yours. And, and that was a bit freeing, but, but it always, they've always been his. They're his. They're his. They're not yours. They belong to him. And that's important to understand that. Now, there are four areas that will reveal who you think you are as a parent as it relates to whether you are an owner or a steward. Let's walk through these. I think these are really helpful because I've, I have violated every one of these as a parent. I'm sure you have too. First one has to do with identity, where you look to find your sense of who you are. Ownership parents tend to look to their children for their identity. Ownership parents tend to look to their children for their identity. Parents who look to their children for their identity tend to take their children's failures personally, responding with hurt and anger. So if your identity's in your child and when they fail, you're going to take it personally and you're going to respond with anger and hurt. You're going to respond inappropriately. God does not give you children to make you feel your life is worthwhile. I'm going to let that land on you just for a minute because I've heard people say this, I know now why I, I exist and why I have purpose in my life. I've, be, I've been created to be a mom. No, you were created to give glory to God. You were created to find your deepest delight in him. Your identity comes from him, not from your kids, whether you have kids or you don't have kids, whether you get married or you don't get married. It's whether or not you know God. Your identity is in him and him alone. That's so important to understand. And we mess up our kids because we, get, we put our identity in them. Stewardship parenting is the parenting you parent from your identity in Christ. So the one you're parenting more out of a deficit, seeking to find your sense of identity in them versus your parenting out of an abundance. Yeah, your identity is secure in him. Therefore, you're going to be able to be much better respond to the successes and failures of your children. They're not going to go to your head and they're not going to go to your heart when they fail. They're not, it's, when they succeed, it's not going to go to your head and you're going to become proud, and when they uh, fail, it's not going to go down to your heart and wreck you because your identity is in Christ. That's the first one, and I've, I've certainly failed in that and continued to try to relocate my identity in Christ, not just from my kids, but from a lot of things. But the next one is work. What you define as the work you have been called to do. Ownership parents turn their children into something they want them to be. I want my child to be this, and I want them to accomplish that, and I want my children to be doctors and lawyers and whatever, whatever list you have out there. Many children have been broken under the pressure of parents trying to make them into something that, that is contrary to how God has wired them. There's a lot of examples of that, but for instance, an extrovert dad trying to turn his introvert son into an extrovert, or an athletic dad, a dad that really is into football, trying to make his son, who's probably a little bit more creative and more intellectual, doesn't like football, but you try to force him into that. That's why it tells us in Proverbs 22, 6, train a child in the way he should go, that he should go, based consistent with his wiring. So stewardship parenting 
understand that they're instruments in God's hands by his grace to turn their child into what God wants them to be. This is based on their God-given, unique, one-of-a-kind, original shape. Their, their gifting, given by God, their heart, their abilities, their personality, and their life experiences. You're just participating with God in the, in the shaping of that child. And then there's success. So we're still kind of working on this distinction between ownership and stewardship. So parenting is about is not about ownership, but stewardship. And so as, as you define success, what you define success to be. Now, I find it interesting, and I, we, I think Nancy and I tried to do the best we could with our kids, because we saw that we homeschooled our kids up into high school, and then when they went into high school, there tended to be a high emphasis on academics, athletics, musical ability, and social likability. Those are all important, but that's the school that they were going to at the time. That's where they would give, give all the awards to. And I thought, wait, 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 wait. There's something that's much more important than all of that. How about responsibility, character, integrity, faithfulness, and generosity? Those are the internal qualities. So we tend to focus on a lot of times the, the wrong things as far as what success is defined to be. So if, you were to, if I were to ask you, so what is the goal of parenting and what, is, what does it mean to be a successful parent or what are you ultimately trying to accomplish as a parent or as adults? What do we want to see happen in the kids of our, in our church family? Here's a definition for you. How about this one? We want, we want responsible we want our kids to become responsible adults who love God and love people. How about that one? That'd probably be a pretty decent one. But here's, here's what's important. And I think it's being a fully devoted follower of Christ. That would be part of what we're looking for. But ownership parents, and this is what you need to know, ownership parents take responsibility for the product, how the kids turn out. Stewardship parents take responsibility for the process. Now, now you, are you tracking with that? These are all on your notes. I didn't put them on fill in the blank. I just wanted to give you my thoughts under each of these. So if you're, you're sitting there kind of lost a little bit, it's probably because you don't have notes in front of you, so you need to grab some notes and follow along because you'll actually remember much more of this if you do that. But, but think about this. So ownership parents take responsibility for the product. Stewardship parents take responsibility for the process. You're not responsible for the product, how those kids turn out. You're only responsible for the process, not the product. There are parenting experts who say that if you do the right things, your children will turn out right. That's not true. There's no guarantee. The best parent that ever existed had two kids go south. That's found in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. There's no guarantee. I don't know where they get that. You can't violate the, the ability to choose. If you have love and relationship, you have to have choice. You can't force anything on anyone. And so let me just say this, that I know that some of you have had kids that have gone south, like many have, and you did the best you could. You need to quit beating yourself up over that. Some of you, your kids have done really quite well, and you're too filled with pride thinking that somehow you're responsible for the product. No, God is ultimately responsible for the product. And you were part of the process, and you thank God that they've gone right, 
and that you continue to pray that they continue to go right. But it's the, it's the difference between process and product. We're not responsible for how they turn out. That's, that's in God's hands. We're only responsible for the process. That's, that's part of that really important. That should be freeing for us. And uh, here's the next one, reputation. Reputation is what tells people who you are and what you are about. And ownership uh, parents unwittingly turn their children into their trophies. They tend to want to be able to parade their children in public to the applause of the people. It is why parents struggle with really the crazy, zany phases of their children as they are growing up, being more concerned about what it says about them than their children. We had, I think all three of ours went through crazy, zany periods, but there was one in particular that really went through crazy, zany periods. And I mean, he'd color his hair crazy, and, and it was like, come on, dude, I'm the pastor of this church, and you're showing up looking like that? I mean, you know, of course, their mom was much more laid back. Let them do whatever they want to do with their hair. It's not that big of a deal. You're just jealous because you don't have hair. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, no, I, but, but anyway, I mean, she was, she was able to kind of chill out. If that's the worst they do, praise God. You know, and so, so she kind of helped me to put a lot of things into perspective. And so we tend to take those things personally in our lives, and that's because our reputation, your reputation is not based on your kids. It's not based on your kids' highs and lows and how successful they are and all those other things. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. But stewardship parenting really is that these parents have come to understand that parenting sinners they understand that parenting sinners, affectionately called midget demons <laughs> and vipers in diapers, as I call them. <laughs> so these parents have come to understand that parenting sinners will expose them to public misunderstanding and embarrassment somehow, some way. And you've got to be okay with that. You've got to be okay with that. And, and so stewardship Parenting means that you are God's representative. You're God's representative. Your children's concept of God is going to initially be shaped by you. See, in the early years of your child, you're the look on God's face. You're the tone of his voice. You're the touch of his hand. God will make his presence known to your children through you. And as, as they get older, you help them to transfer that love, trust, and obedience from you over to God. And one of the things that we tried to do, Nancy and I, is that we would tell our kids, we wanted them to know more than anything, oh my goodness, we love you. We, you have no idea how much we love you. I mean, it's beyond words. But if you think we love you, there's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven who loves you more than you'll ever know, beyond what we could ever love you. We wanted them to know that. We wanted them to experience that. Now, that's the first one. Here's the second one, number two. Nothing is more important than being God's tool to form a human soul. Nothing is more important than being God's tool to form a human soul. I, my thoughts are kind of the subpoints under each of those. And so, um, do you understand the value of that? Do you understand how important that is? And 
we are value-motivated human beings. And it tells us in Matthew 6, 19 through 34, 621 actually says uh, that where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. In other words, it says that we, because we are value-driven people, uh, we can look, look at our heart. Our heart displays is, is going to be displayed in our priorities and our practices. What you value, you prioritize. What you prioritize, you practice. So if I were to watch with you the video of your last two months, what would I conclude is of, of true value, of great value to you? What's most important to you? So, so I'm asking that question because you should be able to look at your life and, and as a parent, you've got kids in your home. Those kids should be really valuable to you. But more important than those kids should be your relationship with God. And I ought to be able to see that in your life through your, your priorities and your practices. Parenting is, is either a thing of high value to you demonstrated in your choices, words, and actions every day or it's not. So you can tell me that you value God's word, you value praying, you value coming to church regularly and all those things, but I can, all I gotta do is look at your practices because your practices betray you. They show really what's most important to you. You can talk until you're blue in the face about how important God is or how important your kids are, and all I gotta do is watch and see what your priorities are and what your practices are in your life. Parents too controlled by possessions, positions, and the pleasures of life will have way too little time to invest in their children in the way God intended. It is possible for moms to be more concerned about stains on her couch than the soul of her son, or for dads to be more excited about watching sports on TV than the spiritual formation of his children. So what are your values? Here's what I found in, in the home is that more things are, are caught than taught. We desperately want our kids to know Christ, but if, if we don't know Christ and living in vital union and communion with him, they're not gonna get that. They're gonna see the contradiction of that. And so, therefore, more things are, are caught than taught. I'll never forget this. It was uh, our little three-year-old Russ was sitting in the back seat of his car. And I don't even know if they still have these little car seats, but they had a car seat with the steering wheel on it. They still have those? Steering wheel? No? Don't know. But, uh, yeah, they do. Okay. So, they had this, he had a little steering wheel. He's back there driving, and, and Nancy and I are in the front seat, and we heard him, heard him say, he said something like this. Uh, he said, move it, lady. Get out of the way, lady. <laughs> He's back there driving. We both looked at each other like, where did he get that? <laughs> now, I don't want to embarrass anyone, but my sister Aloha is really an aggressive driver, okay? And uh, my sister Aloha had been driving Nancy around for a few days because we'd had our third child. It was a C-section, and so she had been driving her around. And those were the exact words that had come out of my sister Aloha's mouth while she was driving. And he caught on that just, just that quick. Not like he couldn't have learned worse things from me, but uh, <laughs> because I'm, I, I can be certainly an aggressive driver also. It was, uh, in fact, we had three of our grandsons in the back of our car, and we were heading up out of uh, 
through Black Canyon Highway, it was Black Canyon City, and as you're heading up to Sunset Point, the traffic gets really crazy there, and so I was kind of driving somewhat aggressively, and I heard this little eight-year-old grandson, it was Cohen, he actually said, why are we driving crazy? No driving crazy now, Grandpa. What's the speed limit, Grandpa? Mind your own business, kid. It's like more things are caught than taught. More things, I mean... I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to have to black out the, the speedometer on the car because they can sit over the back seat and look over and see how fast Grandpa's going and look, Grandpa! More things are caught than taught. So what are your kids catching in your home? What are they learning? I, I love this uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. I mean, this is This is rich. This kind of shows you as a believer in Christ, this is what our homes, this is what our lives should look like. Listen to what he says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. You hear that? I mean, your heart is swept away by the beauty and the glory of, of God. You want him more than anything. He dominates your thoughts. He stirs your deepest emotions. He moves you to action. It's all about his glory. It's a wonderful way to live. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Whatever captures your heart and imagination more than God is an idol. And he's saying here, let God, let his word capture your heart and imagination more than anything. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Wow, that's an interesting picture and a metaphor, isn't it? It's like, man, they're right there, right in front of you. You're always thinking about God. You're, always, you're just saturated with his word. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I mean, I mean, a, a God in gospel-saturated home. I don't, I don't think we can talk too much about God in our, in our God-ignoring world. Do you agree with that? Man, we need to talk a lot about God and about the gospel and all of who he is. I love that last song um, that we sang because in that song it talked about God is, is loving and just and how the cross beckons us, calls us. And we need to proclaim the gospel message to our kids consistently, regularly, diligently, faithfully, every day. They need to know that God is both just and loving, and justice demands punishment. And in justice, God passed the required sentence of death on our sin, but in his love, he took that punishment himself on the cross the gospel message. Our kids need to hear it. The most important thing you can model and teach your child is about the existence, character, and plan of God. Intimacy with God. That's what we have. But you can't give what you don't have. And when they look at your life, they're either going to be attracted to God or repelled from him based on how you're living that out. Children who don't acknowledge God will act as if they are God. 
The greatest opportunity and responsibility of parents is to lead your child into a personal relationship with God and then nurture that, that they would know the God of the galaxies that loves them, adores them, and gave his life for them. That's the most important thing. That's the most important thing, that you would saturate their lives with that. And when your child questions the existence of God, tell them about the God who reveals himself through creation and conscience and commandments and ultimately through Christ and how he came here to this earth and bled and died for them to reconcile them to the Father. And when your child questions the rules of God, tell them that they are from the very love and wisdom of their creator who gave his life for them so that they might have fullness of life. See, they need to have a balanced view of God. They need to know the greatness of God. They need to have that sense of, wow, amazing. God, you are amazing. But they also need to have that goodness of God. Mmm, God, you're so good. They need to know that greatness because they need to know that he's bigger than any problem they will ever face. And you need to demonstrate that to them. But they also need to know that he's more satisfying than any pleasure in life. But you've got to model that. You've got to model that to them. You've got to live that out. And, uh, and part of that is obviously doing family devotions and creating this atmosphere in family devotions. Uh, I, I brought some tools up here just for, if you've got young kids in the home, there's a lot of great tools out there. I've talked about this in the past. The Jesus Storybook Bible. I love reading this just myself. This is rich. This is good stuff. Very gospel-centered. Uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones, and then Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing, also by her, great tools. Um, And I would highly encourage you to pick up one of these books. This is in our uh, coffee bar. You can buy one of these books. This is what we've been going through as a a family. You know, your kids are gonna have questions. I'll guarantee you that probably most of their questions are gonna be answered just through this. And you'll be able to go back and refer back to this book because it's, uh, it's really what we believe as Christians. Better yet, you don't even have to buy the book. If you've got a smartphone, you can download the app, and um, it's right on the app, and they've got a children's version of this. And for instance, the first question is, what is our only hope in life and death? Here's the, Christian, uh, the, the children's version. It's, it's a shortened version, that we may that we are not our own but belong to God. There it is, that's what we've been talking about. They belong to God. And then they've got a little part of this that's a little song. Let's see if this thing works here. Oh, it's, it's thinking right now. It's not gonna work for me this morning. It did last night. But they have a little song, and, the, and, and my grandkids will, will actually uh, sing along with it. It's not going to work. It'll probably work when I set it down right here. I better turn it off. Okay. So they got a nice little song. It's, it's probably not a song that the high school students would like, but it's a nice little sweet song for uh, kids that they can memorize those questions and answers. It's a great way to, to learn and grow. And so what do you do as they get older? Well, you got growing notes in front of you. That is, you should. You begin to take certain truths that God's teaching you and you pass those on to your kids. You sit around the dinner table at night and say, hey, what's God been speaking to you lately? And as a parent, you can say, hey, here's what God's been speaking to me. I haven't been a very good parent lately. And this is what God wants me to do. He wants me to do this. I want to do a better job and I apologize for that. And, and please forgive me and I know that God forgives me and so uh, this is what God's teaching me. And you begin to pass those things on. Or whatever God, you just, you can take 
the truth. What, I mean, this morning when you walk away, you ought to be able to say, I ought to be able to come to you and say, what is God speaking to you this morning? In what area is he working and changing your life and transforming you and developing you? And you can take that and you begin to pass it on to your kids. You just say, hey, here's, here's what's happening. Do it around the dinner table, do it during family devotions, you do it while you're driving in the car, you talk about those things, you ask those deep questions, and I think that's all part of it. version is another thing, another great tool. If you don't have version, you need to get it. And they have a lot of inductive studies. And I'm a friend of a lot of our kids here in the church on version. And I can see a lot of the stuff that they're doing is they're doing going through inductive studies and various things like that. There's a lot of great inductive studies and also kids studies. So, hey, listen, there's plenty of resources. Plenty of resources. Get with it, man. I mean, seriously, seriously, make that a priority. Make it a value. It will be seen in your practices. The things you value, you prioritize. The things you prioritize, you practice. Man, have a relationship with God. Have that intimacy with God. Listen, intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. I'm convinced of that. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And, and you can't fake this. You, you can't fake this. The kids will see right through it. But if you're living in the reality of it, you'll be able to pass that on to them. More things are caught than taught. Here we go. Number three, God never calls you to a task without giving you what you need to do it. He never sends you without going with you. He never sends you without going with you. God didn't call you to be a parent or a teacher or a leader or to impact the next generation because you are able. He didn't call you to do that because you're able. It's because he's able. He's able. Your trust is in him. There is nothing more important to consistent, faithful, patient, loving, and effective parenting than to understand what God has given you in the grace of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, you need to be a recipient of his amazing grace and then your life will overflow that. No one gives grace better than those who know they desperately need grace themselves. So what does this mean? I've got it on your notes there. This means this, so to really understand God's grace, yesterday's failures, today's burdens, tomorrow's uncertainties are no match for God's past, present, and future grace. Now do you believe that? Think about your past, think about your future. What about the here and now? Do you believe that God is, is enough? His grace is sufficient for you right here and now? The stresses and strains of parenting or whatever it is that you're facing? God's greatest and most wonderful gift to you as a parent is himself, it's himself. Ephesians 3, 20 through 31. Let's read these two verses aloud and together. You guys ready? Nice and loud. Let me know that you're out there. Okay, here we go. Here we go. One, two, three. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Man, that's, those are great verses. His power working in me? Yes. Absolutely, no doubt about it. Now God hasn't just sent you to do his work in the lives of your children, he will use the lives 
of your children to advance his work in you by making you feel totally inadequate. <laughs> yes, by making you feel totally inadequate for the task, but also to show you that you are more like your child than unlike your child. Interesting story I came across, and it was a uh, one young mother was near the point of total frustration with her little girl's misbehavior. She was like a preschool terrorist. And one day the mom told her daughter that if she kept behaving like this, someday God would punish her by giving her a misbehaving daughter of her own. The little girl thought for a moment and then said, wow, mom, you must have been awful when you were my age. We are more like than unlike our kids. We are more like than unlike our kids. We are as desperate for the grace of God as our kids are. And they need to see that. We haven't arrived. We, we need to get rid of the holier-than-thou, self-righteous kind of an attitude that we often have. We need His grace. And parents who know they are inadequate and run to God, make the best parents. God calls you to the impossible task of parenting so that in your search for help, you would find more than help, you would find him. You would know him, you would love him, you would rest in his grace and live for his glory. Number four, your children need God's law, but you cannot ask the law to do what only grace can accomplish. Real quick, uh, discuss this with the folks sitting around you. What's the purpose of God's law? The Ten Commandments, God's Word. What's the purpose of all that? There's a reason for that. Real quick, discuss it with the folks sitting around you. By the way, the answer is right there on your notes. Did you guys see that? Anybody see that? The law reflects the nature of God, reveals what is pleasing to him, and it can only restrain the will, but only grace can transform the heart. We talk about that a lot. So the law reveals our sin, but only grace can rescue us from sin. So you guys know the difference between legalism and liberalism and then the gospel? There's a major difference. And you can kind of see that tendency in a lot of American churches today. You see American churches teach legalism, and you see American churches also teach a, a form of a kind of license or liberalism, but God wants us to teach the gospel, and there needs to be that understanding of the gospel. Legalism says, I obey, therefore God accepts me. I've got to get my act together, therefore God will accept me. You better live right, or God won't love you. He won't, he won't be pleased with you. That's not the gospel. You don't say that to your kids. License, it says, well, God accepts you. It doesn't matter how you believe. That's more of that license or liberalism. But grace says, no, God accepts me in Christ, therefore I want to obey. God accepts me in Christ. I have all that I need in him, therefore I want to obey. I heard the story of a little boy that was, uh, dad's driving down the road, looks in the rearview mirror, sees that his kid's standing up in the back seat. He's like, what in the world? Get down right now. Get back down and buckle your seatbelt. He was, you know, as a dad, I would be pretty upset. 
Don't ever unbuckle your seatbelt while we're driving down the road. I have to stop all of a sudden. You're going to be launched like a rocket up to the front seat through the front windshield. That's scary. And he told his son, son, you sit down right now. And his son complained that he couldn't see anything, you know. And so after he pulled off the side of the road and required that his son sit down before he moved on, his son finally in, in haste and anger sat down, buckled up his seat, and he looked at his dad and said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. <laughs> so, uh, so what was that? What was that about? He, he, ha- he was forced by the law, by his dad's requirement to do that, but in his heart he didn't want to do that. Now what we want to do is not just force them but to have their heart transformed because, because that son needs to know that his dad has his best interest at heart and that he would respond out of love. And the reason why he obeys is because he's obeying the love and wisdom of his daddy. And so at some point and somehow, some way, I think it's very supernatural, we've got to help our kids to see that. I have your best interest at heart. I love you. And even more so, God loves you. And you want to obey because of his love for you and of that acceptance. And so you're only responding to that love and all that he's, all that he's done. And, and grace frees us from the penalty of sin. So this is this idea of grace. It frees us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and eventually one of these days, the presence of sin. So you've got justification, sanctification, and then you've got glorification, which is heaven. I love Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. Listen to these verses. These are rich. So this is, gives, gives us a real foundation for our faith and an understanding of grace. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I mean, you know, you know how crazy that is? I, I've read that over and over again. I've memorized that, and it's just, it's overwhelming to me when I see that. He will never, ever hold our sin against us. He set us free from the penalty of sin. I, I, you're forgiven. It was costly. Jesus died for that, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. So that's the first one. He set us free from the penalty of sin. And then verse 2, he talks about how he set us free from the power of sin working in our lives. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So he set us free from the power of sin. So how has he set us free from the penalty of sin? Verse 3 talks about that. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. So through Christ's work, it's an imputed righteousness. I stand before God completely righteous and that's a righteousness that was not earned but given to me through the work of Christ. That's amazing. And then verse 4 tells us how he sets us free from the power of sin. And by the way, it's the power, the power of sin's promise. Sin holds a promise. This is what's going to help you as adults and us and our kids as we help and lead them in this. Sin holds a promise of happiness, and the power of sin's promise is broken by the power of God's promise. And the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, this is what he's saying here, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we're set free from the power of sin working in our lives through the Spirit's work. It's an imparted righteousness. So the first one is an imputed righteousness. I stand right before God, and then he begins to work in my life and brings about wholeness, and it's called holiness. And holiness is being so satisfied in God that sin loses its appeal. You find such satisfaction in him that you don't want to take those paths that are outside of God's word. 
Every day you should point your kids to the presence, the power, and the promises of Jesus. And what should our kids, even our adult kids, see in our life? Even if you have wayward adult kids, here's, what the, here's the most important thing that they can see in, in your life. They should see a humble confidence that you struggle with sin and are desperate for Christ just like them and a confidence that Christ gives us an indescribable and indestructible joy that the highest high of this world can't give you and the lowest low in this world can't take from you. They ought to see a buoyancy in your life that those the problems and issues in life can push you down, but they can't keep you down because of the because of the pleasure you find in the eternal privileges you have in God. That's what they need to see. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't get sad. The opposite of joy is not sadness, it's hopelessness. But they're gonna see a hope. They're gonna see a confidence. They're gonna find satisfaction in God that's better than anything in this world because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Here's number five. Number five, recognizing what you are unable to do is essential to good parenting. Recognizing what you are unable to do is essential to good parenting. God has granted you the authority for the work of change, but has not granted you the power to make that change happen. So once again, it's the process versus product. When you think your job is to change your child, this is what happens. When you think you're responsible for the product, your parenting will tend to be demanding, aggressive, threatening, and focusing on rules and punishment. It'll be more about behavioral modification. Fear, reward, and shame, which are not ways to motivate your children, can exercise temporary control over your child's behavior, but what needs to change in order for change to last and bear fruit is heart change through Christ. That's what you're praying for. And in fact, next week, we're gonna talk about our heart, and we're gonna dive into it in, in more detail. What does that mean? What does that look like? But there is a major difference between using fear, reward, and shame to get them to do something, and you lovingly being God's tool to help them be something through Christ. It's, the idea here is found in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You want them to have a new heart. Through Christ, intimacy with him, knowing him, having a relationship with him. And that's the power of God working in our lives, Romans 8, 11. So we, we can't be the kind of parent God wants us to be, nor can we change them. And so recognizing what you are unable to do is essential to good parenting. So we need God's power, Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In you. Now let me end with a story and then we will pray. Alyssa Morgan is president of MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers International. This is what she said I'm probably the least likely person to head a mothering organization. I grew up in a broken home. My parents were divorced when I was five. My older sister, younger brother, and I were raised by my alcoholic mother. While my mother meant well, Truly she did. Most of my memories are of my mothering her rather than her mothering me. 
Alcohol altered her love, turning it into something that wasn't love. I remember her weaving down the hall of our ranch home in Houston, Texas, glass of scotch in hand. She would wake up at 2 a.m. just to make sure I was asleep. I would wake her at 7 a.m. to try to get her off to work. Sure, there were good times like Christmas and birthdays when she went all out and celebrated us as children, but even those days ended with the warped glow of alcohol. Now listen to what she says here. What she did right was lost in what she did wrong. Ten years ago, when I was asked to consider leading MOPS International, a vital ministry that nurtures mothers, I went straight to my knees and then to the therapist's office. How could God use me? How could God use me, who had never been mothered, to nurture other mothers? The answer came as I gazed into the eyes of other moms around me and saw their needs mirroring my own. God seemed to take my deficits and make them my offering. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Now listen to me. Maybe your struggle is not with parenting, but maybe you do have a struggle. We all do. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Let's pray. So, Father God, may we be good stewards of these wonderful gifts of children you have given to us. Help us to see that nothing is more important than being your tool to form a human soul and that you never call us to a task without giving us your presence to empower us. Fill us, fill us with your grace and truth, knowing that only you can transform the hearts of our children. May the same mind-boggling power that raised Christ from the dead be unleashed now in our lives to give sight, conviction, power, and desire for God's glory to us and our desperately needy children. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful and glorious name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys.